0: well hello everyone it's good to be with you for this sunday school session on april the 19th 2020 actually being recorded on april the 18th Uh, steve mang is at the controls thank you steve andy mang is going to upload a handout that goes with today's lesson and that should be available to you if you go onto the chapel website and select today's session and hit the resources tab You should be able to get that in printable form, and if for some reason you're unable to do it or have a problem with that, let me know, and I will be sure to send you a copy of it. Today's topic is Jesus, the Son of Man, and before we get started, let's just ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, we thank you for this time that we can open your word and look at it together, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would bring us to the message that you would have us to hear Today, and uh, help the Father that we can learn more about you and your son, and uh, certain things we can apply in our daily life, Father, but also gain a better understanding of the person and work of your Son. And we pray this in His name. Amen. The title of the Son of Man is used more than 80 times in the Gospels, and with the exception of Luke 24:7 and John 12:34, both quoting Jesus. It is always on the lips of Jesus. It was his favorite way of referring to himself. Interestingly, he is never personally addressed as the Son of Man, even by the disciples. This title also occurs only three times in the New Testament outside the Gospels. I would like to go ahead and read those verses just as a kind of an introduction to our time together this morning. The first is in Acts seven, fifty-six Stephen speaking to the Sanhedrin before his stoning, and he says this Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then two times in the book of Revelation in John's vision, it was called the Patmos vision. The first is in Revelation 1 and verse 13. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a or like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet. And girded across his chest with a golden sash, and then again in Revelation 14:14, 14, 14, then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a or like thee, son of man, having a gold crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now there are many titles for Lord Jesus in the New Testament. I think everybody could probably rattle off five or six. Uh, without thinking too much, and if really put your mind to it, you'd probably come up with as many as a dozen titles of Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And for me, and perhaps for you too, the question is, why was the Son of Man our Lord's favorite self-designation? If Jesus was the Son of God, why did he repeatedly call himself the Son of Man? And seeking to answer this question should not be merely an academic exercise for us. Rather, we should, in the process of considering the term the Son of Man, seek to gain a better understanding of the person and work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The title the Son of Man has fascinated scholars and Bible students for centuries. The common understanding is that Son of God speaks of the Lord Jesus' deity, while Son of Man speaks of humanity. But is that all that is involved in the title the Son of Man? Or did Jesus intend to convey more than that in his favorite self-designation? Over time, and based on what the Bible tells us, I have come to see two main reasons Jesus so often used the title, the Son of Man. First, it was the ideal title for combining the two chief things that needed to be said about our Lord's person. Namely, that he is both man and God. This is a basic tenet or belief of Orthodox Christianity. The Lord Jesus is one unique individual with two distinct natures, divine and human. He is fully human and fully divine. He is the God-man. In Jesus, God took on flesh and human nature so he could substitute for, our, for humanity, taking the penalty we deserve for our sins. As we read the Gospel accounts of our Lord's life and ministry on earth, his humanity is evident. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He had a human body and was subject to the limitations of humanity. He grew hungry and showed emotion. He had two human he had human names and he was able to die, but he was without sin. On the other hand, his deity is proven by his attributes and they're listed on that handout that is available to you omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence truth. And immutability. And I said this kind of quickly, but again, they're available in the handout along with some Bible references that you can look up as well. His works, he creates, sustains, forgives sin, raises the dead, and judges. And again, there are some verses to go along with each one of those. As we learned in our study of the prologue to John's gospel, Jesus is God in his essence and his nature, co-equal with the Father and the eternal second person of the Trinity. But how, then, does the term the Son of Man speak to both his humanity and his deity? His humanity is conveyed in the term Son of Man itself. On the surface, the words only mean a man, and they are used that way in the Old Testament, as in Psalm 8.4, which asks, What is man that you are mindful of him, the Son of Man that you care for him? Likewise, Ezekiel is repeatedly addressed as son of man. Son of carries a sense of characterized by, and so a son of man is one who is characterized by humanity. And also note Paul's reference to the human race as sons of men in Ephesians 3, verse 5. If a Hebrew-speaking person wanted to refer to a person as a sinner, it would be natural for him to speak of that one as a son of sin. That is one characterized by sin. Or similarly, if he wanted to call a person wealthy, he might have referred to him as a son of wealth. This is also typical of such Hebrew expressions as sons of wrath or sons of disobedience, which are used in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Or even sons of thunder, as the Lord Jesus described John and James in Mark 3, verse 17. And so in one sense... When our Lord referred to himself as Son of Man, he was merely calling himself a man, so far as the literal meaning of the term goes. And that alone, I think, is significant, for it reveals the delight the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, had in identifying with us. It was as if he were saying, I am one of you, and I am happy with that identification. And this should be a great encouragement to us. But even if the phrase son of man is a reference to Jesus' humanity, it is not a denial of his deity. By becoming a man, the Lord Jesus did not cease being God. The incarnation of Christ did not involve the subtraction of deity, but rather the addition of humanity. And we talked about this at some length in our study of John's prologue in in the past few Sunday school sessions that I had the privilege of bringing to you. So I'm not going to repeat that here, but you might remember that from our times together um, previous to this. But those who view the term son of man as only a reference to our Lord's humanity missed the full force of the term. It is important to note that Jesus did not merely refer to himself as son of man, which would have highlighted as humanity only. He referred to himself as the Son of Man, so he must have had something specific in mind. It is commonly believed, and I agree, that it refers to the Son of Man that Daniel saw in his vision recorded in Daniel chapter 7 and verses uh, 13 and 14. So I'll give you a, a, a moment or half a moment to turn there um, before I uh, read these verses to you. Now, I have to admit that I've uh, typed these verses out because I find that when I'm trying to find them when I'm speaking, sometimes I get caught up in that and have difficulty finding them. So, on occasion, I will type out the verses, and on other occasions, I will actually turn to them. I think you can hear the difference because if it takes me longer to get there, you know I'm actually looking them up, and you'll see that uh, a little bit later. But Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, like a son of man was going, like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now here in Daniel 7, son of man is not used as a title which speaks of one like a son of man as opposed to the beasts which represent the world rulers, spoken of earlier in the chapter. In contrast to the beast who misrule the earth, this one will rule as God intended before humanity's fall. He is also invested by the Ancient of Days, God the Father, with authority, glory, and sovereign power, a reference to the Messiah. Jesus is referring to this scene in Matthew chapter 26. I want to turn there, and I actually am turning with you here. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 62 through 66. Jesus is appearing before Caiaphas here, the high priest. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. In his response to Caiaphas, Jesus reaches back one more time to Daniel chapter 7, as he has many times during his ministry. He calls to mind the Son of Man seen and applies it to himself by using it as a title. By taking on this title, Jesus established himself as the fulfillment of the heavenly authority figure of Daniel 7, who was granted the right to come to earth, rule, and judge on behalf of God. This was Jesus' way of saying, I am the divine king prophesied by Daniel. I am the Messiah. And, of course, this is precisely how the Jewish rulers understood it. For after he said this, Caiaphas cried out, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses, as we saw there in verse 65? And they condemned him to death. Scripture indicates that Jesus was not denying his deity by referring to himself as the Son of Man, but was in fact Emphasizing it. In Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days confers on the one like a Son of Man dominion that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. A prophecy now being fulfilled as the Son of Man expands his reign through the global preaching of the gospel. I want to turn over to Matthew 28, a passage that Mickey brought to us in his Sunday school message. I believe it was last week. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The second reason the Lord Jesus used the title Son of Man is because it was the most ambiguous of the messianic titles. That is, it was a concealed messianic title. So why use it then? The problem was that the people of the day were confusing our Lord's first coming with his second coming. One day the Lord Jesus will come as conqueror and judge, but this was not the object of his earthly ministry. John the Baptist seems to have been confused about this. If you return back to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew 11, We'll start off by reading uh, verses 1 through 3. Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? He seems to have been confused because what he is seeing in the Lord Jesus' ministry did not mesh with what he said in Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 11 and 12. So if you would please turn back there. Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 12. And I'm going to get there here very quickly. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, the Lord Jesus clears this matter up, as you would please uh, turn back to where we were there in chapter 11, uh, in verses 4 through 6. this is, again, John the Baptist has sent this delegation To ask the Lord Jesus if he was the coming one or should they expect someone else. Verse 4 Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. For now, his goal was to teach God's word, preach the gospel, and heal the sick, all of which were explicit messianic missions. By using the Son of Man to refer to himself, he could avoid many misunderstandings of his mission, while pouring into those words all the meanings he desired them to have. There were tremendous expectations of a messianic deliverer in Christ's day. The area of Palestine was under Rome's rule, and all patriotic Jews waited for the deliverer who had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Whenever a likely candidate came along, there were always hundreds and even thousands of people who were ready to look to him and follow him in hopes he might be the one expected. Take again the charismatic figure, John the Baptist. John had a dramatic and effective ministry. So the authorities sent a delegation to ask him whether he was the Messiah, and we see this in John uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And his response was, no, it is the one who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, and this shows how intense the Jewish' expectations for a political deliverer were at that time. If the Lord Jesus had said outright, "Yes, I am the Messiah," or if he had used any other of the titles usually identified with this figure, the Jews would have thought of him in simple political terms, and they would have followed him in the belief that he was a mere man, like David, whom God had sent to drive out the Romans and restore the Davidic throne. Titles like the King of Israel and the King of the Jews, while appropriate and true, were so loaded with political and messianic overtones that they could not be adopted without restraint and appropriate caveats. The Son of Man, on the other hand, lay ready to hand as an expression that could be filled with precisely the right content. In the New Testament, the title refers only to Jesus and occurs almost always on his lips. So that he himself could shape its content, in this way he could avoid many misunderstandings of his mission while pouring into these words all the meanings he desired them to have. Now, this combination of ideas was puzzling to his Jewish contemporaries, and I'd like to uh, go to John chapter 12 and read a couple of verses there, which is one of the only times the title of the Son of Man was used by someone other uh, than Jesus. But John chapter 12, I'm going to read uh, verses. Um, 32 through 34, where Jesus here is foretelling his death and speaking to the crowd. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say, the Son of Man, be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? Well, the answer to that searching question is the very essence of Christian theology, the person and work of Christ embodied in the gospel message. Now the Lord Jesus used uh, the title of the Son of Man to emphasize a number of things, and again on the handout I have these listed, or many of them listed. I'm going to read some of the verses selected from that list, and I'll, I'll just do this without without really comment to illustrate these points of how Jesus was using the, t- the the Son of Man. For one thing, it emphasizes lowliness and his humanity. Matthew eight verse twenty, the foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His mission, Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. His coming to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His suffering, death, and resurrection. Luke 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. His authority to forgive sin. Mark 2.10, Luke 5.24. Jesus says to the scribe just before healing a paralytic so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. His second coming and future glorious reign as king. And here I'd like to read this portion. That's in Matthew chapter 24. In verses 27 through 31. Matthew 4 beginning in verse 27. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west... So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after this tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will, be, will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Also uses a term to emphasize his preexistence and that he came from heaven, John 3:13. "No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man that all who believe in him are to have eternal life. And here I'll read John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. John 3, beginning in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In summary, the Lord Jesus Christ both revealed and concealed himself by using this somewhat mysterious phrase, the Son of Man. The term blends the heavenly and earthly aspects of Lord Jesus' person and work. It links him to the earth and to his mission, and it describes the servant role he so willingly assumed. But it also spoke of his deity and looked forward to his future and glorious heavenly reign. The full articulation of the Son of Man demanded all of Jesus' ministry, including his life, resurrection, and exaltation. The Son of Man is both a human, he is a man who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin, as the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 4 and verse 15. Also, He is also God in whom all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul in Colossians 2 In verse 9, he was clearly human, but he was deity. He was God as well. And his ministry progressively revealed this fact. To those who would oppose him, he chose to conceal his identity. To those who would accept him as the Messiah, destined to give his life for humanity, the term revealed his identity. While others may not have immediately grasped what he meant by this title, the Son of Man, The Lord Jesus used it to claim authority, demonstrate power, and assume responsibilities no other man could. Because the Son of Man is also the Son of God. The Son of Man is returning one day with all the power and authority of the eternal King. And one day, every knee will bow before the rightful authority of Jesus Christ. I'm going to reread Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14 that we looked at a bit earlier. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And also, Paul in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11, says this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow, either in grateful adoration or in bitter defeat and crushed capitulation. The question is, which group will you be in? If you know Christ as Savior, you will be in the former group and you will spend eternity with him in heaven. If you do not know Christ, you will be in the latter group and you will be separated from him for eternity. The choice is clear. 1 John 5:11 11 and 12 says this, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has a life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Again, which group will you be in? Father, we thank you for this time. We can spend in your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the one who came, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And we thank you for this in his name. Amen.